Moments ago, you were singing and declaring that I am holy. But do you know what happened to you the moment you accepted my Son as your Savior? In my word, I have said that you were created in righteousness and true holiness. The reason I said true holiness is because the holiness that I use to create you is my holiness. Not a holiness as defined by the world or a church or a denomination, but my holiness. The moment that you became born again, my holiness was born in you, was created in you. The only reason that you are not living by that holiness is because you choose not to. Because along with the holiness, there is a conviction. And that conviction, it is activated the moment that you start doing things that are not holy before me. My holiness is not something to which you attain. It is something that is in you as my child. But if you don't live by my holiness, that is your choice. I will not force it. I will not make you. You must decide to do this. Some of my children may reply and say, but I don't know how. But I don't know what is holy and what's not holy. Again, I say unto you, you have a conscience that bears witness with holiness. But along with that, you have my word. And my word describes and defines holiness. And many times, the description of holiness as recorded in my word is a contradiction from the holiness that is described by churches and denominations. I say to you, you can live holy as I have described it in my word, but it is totally up to you. This is something you must choose. Too many of my children want to pleasure the flesh and emotions as opposed to living by my holiness in them. So I ask you, how do you think that works in my kingdom? Do you think that's something of which I approve? Do you think that I accept the excuses of I don't know how or I don't know what holiness means? I do not accept any of it because I know what I used to create you as my child, that born-again spirit in you. And I know what I've said in my word. 
So I present to you this choice. Will you live according to who you have become in me? Or will you continue to choose to compromise and live how you believe is acceptable unto me? I say, stop making excuses. Stop saying you're too weak. Stop saying you just can't do it. Because the greatness of my life in you is strength to live by the holiness I used to create you. So live according to who you are in me. Stop making excuses. Accept the truth. And learn to be totally and completely pleasing unto me, says the Lord. Please turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. You know, I don't think we realize just how close we are to the return of the Lord. Then again, I don't know that we're as close as some people may think. Simply because, well, this, this month... The book of the Bible that everybody is reading, right, is uh, Revelation. And if you go through Revelation, let's face it, honestly, if you just read it, that's one of the most confusing books in the whole Bible. It Honestly, once you get past, starting in chapter 4, that's where you know the revelation of end-time events is given to John. And if when you read through that, literally... It reads like some kind of science fiction show. It, honestly, it, at times, it reads like um, some kind of a, like a, I don't know, a Harry Potter witchcraft magic show. You know, all these things happening. And, uh, and it's not, well, what you have to keep in mind is that John, you know, you've got to kind of feel sorry for him. Because he was seeing a mixture of things in the spirit and things in the natural. And some of the things that he saw, as you read it, it will not happen. You say, well, no, it said, no. When he talks about, you know, a beast with all these heads and so forth, trust me, in the natural, there's not going to be a multi-headed beast walking around the planet. That's just not going to happen. It was symbolic of something. Uh, you know, people want to talk about the, uh, just, anyway, I don't want to go off on a tangent here. But things are happening now that at one time folks would never have believed would happen. And I mean around the world, but we're here in the United States. So, yeah, here in the United States. Based on the writings of um, those who signed the Declaration of Independence, and so on. There is no way. They believed they were setting the stage for certain laws to exist today to permit perversions, murdering of unborn babies, so on and so forth. There's no way. But yet here we are. And we're living at a time to where if... Okay, one drop 
of compromise at a time has been released into our lives. Whether we've accepted it or not. But it's been there. How many of us, well, I'm thinking more in terms of like people my age, maybe older. For a long time, um, you know, abortion was legal. But for a lot of us, we really didn't sit down and think about what is abortion. It was more of a word than an action. Well, what's happened then over the years, there has been more identification of what abortion really is. Well, those of you who didn't grow up when I did, you, don't, you can't relate to what I'm saying. You don't know. Because some of you have grown up in a culture to where the reality of, of abortion is well known. But what's happened is, the compromise has led us to a place of, um, in the body of Christ, to where sometimes we really don't know what we're doing. And not only that, but a lot of times we compromise and don't even think about the fact we're compromising or might not even realize that we're compromising. We have been, I mean, every person in this room, there are no exceptions, every person watching, every single one of us has been impacted to some degree by false doctrine. Every single one of us. There are no exceptions. And what happens is when truth is delivered, if it's a truth, if it's a, like a subject matter you've never heard before, you are probably more open to receiving it as opposed to truth being delivered concerning a subject matter you've heard taught incorrectly in the past. You know, I was raised to believe that um, once saved, always saved, and that's it. When you're born again, you're born again. There's nothing you can do to change that. That's just how it is. Well, I got around people who didn't believe that. And I start looking in Scripture and leaving it in context. And I began to realize <laughs> what I heard growing up was wrong. Because in Scripture, it's very clear yeah, you may be born again. However, you cannot live any way you want and still make it into heaven. It is possible to end up, like Jude wrote, twice dead. That's, that's a reality. And you've got Christians who don't want to believe that. Well, right along with that, when you start talking about other subjects, such, such as, you know, healing and whatever. I mean, if you've been told, well, healing's not for today, then why would you even pray? Well, the, the end around to that one is, oh God, if it be thy will. But if healing is not God's will, why would you even pray that? You see what I'm saying, the contradiction? But when you're raised... In a culture of you must be born again, but then other stuff is thrown in there, and that's what you hear, then somebody else comes along and starts delivering truth 
that identifies the error, okay, now you're at a tough spot. What are you going to do with that? And what I have uh, found is that as Christians, now I'm talking generally here, um, not all Christians want to accept what God has said in His Word. And we make excuses for what we believe, trying to adjust what's in the Bible to support what we believe. Well, Jesus said, man shall not live by every word, or man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds forth out of the mouth of God. And it's interesting, you can get all Christians to agree on that. But then when it comes to pointing out, well, here's what's in the word of God, you get, well, now, wait a second. Well, that's just not how we teach it. Well, that's your problem. That's how God teaches it, and he hasn't changed. So who do you think's wrong in this? Now take a look here. Okay, before we start reading this. I cannot emphasize enough how critical it is that we take Scripture seriously. Because when you stand, uh, me, you, when we stand before God on the final day of judgment, nobody else is going to be around there to hold our hand. Do you understand that? Mama ain't going to be there. Daddy ain't going to be there. Grandpa, who who pastored for 80 years, he ain't going to be there. Your wife, your husband, it is just going to be you. You, all alone. And this book right here, the Bible, now listen to me, this is the only standard God is going to use in judgment against you. This is it. Nothing else. So your church can teach and your favorite preacher can say, and I mean, on and on it goes, this is it, right here. This is it. And if we don't take this seriously, then how in the world is God going to be able to use us here in this life, the way He wants to? Jesus took Him seriously. <laughs> and you can see... Other apostles, they did too. Paul took him seriously. Peter did, eventually. But not at first. He really struggled in breaking away from the bondage of Judaism. But eventually, he got free. I mean, eventually, he mortified that aspect of his flesh. It wasn't, he wasn't in sin. He was just having a hard time. For, for example... He was struggling trying to understand it was okay to eat whatever's out there. You know, you can eat pork. You know, you can eat this, you can eat that. And, and Peter was challenged by that. He wasn't challenged by somebody saying, you better stop sleeping around. He was challenged by, it's okay to eat this now, Peter. It's okay. You can do this. Well, finally he came around and, and, and other things as well. But for us, there's not going to be any more Scripture. This is it. And we have to make a decision. 
And, and you know, it, it's really weird because when I was growing up in church, I mean, you know, you've heard my story. We were there every time the doors opened. Mom and Dad, sometimes they opened the doors. We were there. We were raised in church. But it was, it was just so odd how that... And I know I wasn't alone. I seem to have this idea that, well, until you reach a certain age, a lot of things just don't matter. <laughs> now, I don't know what that age was. I think in my mind, um, I may have seen it as being until you graduate from high school, you know, until you turn 18 or whatever. Well, nobody actually taught that, but it was this concept. And I know I wasn't alone. And the problem is, you know, we've had under 25-year-olds, and I'll keep it general, in this church like that. As though it doesn't matter until I reach a certain age. Well, that's just plain old weird. And I would ask you, and I'm not trying to be, you know, confrontational here. I'm very serious. What have you seen in the Bible which confirms that? What have you seen? Well, most younger kids, they don't know the epistles from the apostles. They don't have a clue. And then they make up dumb excuses. Well, I just want to... No, no, wait a second. No, 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 no. What have you seen in Scripture that supports what you're thinking? Because you may be 14 years old. And if you die before the sun sets today, you do know you will be standing before God. And 14-year-olds don't understand that. 12-year-olds don't understand that. 16-year-olds. It's like we dismiss that stuff when we're growing up. Part of the fault for that is the preachers. They don't stand in the pulpits and say, hey, I don't care what your age is. You better get your act together with Jesus Christ or you're headed for hell. You can't ride mama's coattails into heaven. And then part of the problem is the parents. The parents don't want to confront the kids with hell. They don't want to look at the kids and say, if you don't straighten up, and if you don't get your life, you know, I'm mom, or I'm dad, you know, or we're your parents or whatever, but you're going to answer to God. And, you, and if you don't believe that, then I want you to take your Bible and I want you to show me where you won't. How many 15-year-olds every year get killed in car wrecks and they weren't even driving? This stuff happens, guys. And then you have adults. They have this idea. Now, I'm talking Christians. They have this idea. Well, you know, I'll get serious with God at some point in time. I know I need to. And I'm not in sin. Well, maybe not really in sin, but let me ask you something. Have you ever wondered why your life isn't any better than what it is right now? You know how some people talk about, well, I'll tell you what, my life's great. I wouldn't change a thing. I would. <laughs> there are a lot of things I would change in my life. And the truth of the matter is, for every single one of you, there are things in your life you'd change. But what? it's almost like we want to cover all this stuff up with a blanket and just, you know, talk the good talk, knowing in our heart 
we don't really mean it all. And I'm here to tell you right now, the Word of God is the final say-so. Now we've got a choice to make. And you're going to be seeing that here in this message today. Here in, in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Now, now, here's what's happened. Paul is writing to Timothy. He's writing to Timothy, but in essence what he's doing is writing to Timothy concerning what Timothy needs to pass on to the church. You know, Timothy, I'm giving you instructions, I'm giving you tips, I'm giving you guidelines, and, and I'm paraphrasing, obviously. And, and uh, you know, if you're smart, you're going to turn around and pass this on to the people you, you teach. So then, we get to chapter 6, and he's coming to the conclusion of this. And he says in verse 3, If any man teach otherwise... Now stop. To whom would this teaching be done? Christians. Therefore, we're talking about someone in the body of Christ who is teaching. You understand that? So he says, If any man teach otherwise, and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such withdraw thyself. See that? You know what's one of the worst doctrines that has ever invaded the body of Christ is we need to all just get along. That's not scriptural. You know why? Because according to the creator of the universe, there are some people from whom we need to withdraw ourselves. You see that? That's not unity. Unless you look at it from a different perspective. God is trying to maintain unity within those who are truly following after Him. And it's, it's God is saying, let me say, like, tell you this. I mean, it's like He's saying, if you don't play by my rules, you sit the bench. You're not in the game. And for those of you who are playing by my rules, stay away from the slackers. Because they're not doing what they need to do to be in the game. This is God. He's saying, withdraw yourself. Now back up here in verse 3. Look at this. If any man, and we could broaden this to if anyone. In other words, it's not just a male. If anyone teach otherwise. And it doesn't simply have to be, I mean, in the, in the broadest context of this, it doesn't have to be the person behind the pulpit. It can be, um, you know how in a lot of families, it's like there's one family member who seems to be like the type A family member when it comes to things in the family. You know, they kind of dominate things, or they got the loudest voice, or they're the most obnoxious, or whatever it would be. 
you understand what I'm yeah, some of you out there smiling, looking at each other, it's like, yeah, it's you. <laughs> now, you know what I'm talking about. Well, it, these are the kind of people to where you already know if you say anything that even sounds contradictory to what they say, it's on. They're going to come at you. You know what I'm talking about. So, all of these kinds of people are in this. If anybody teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which is according to godliness. Now look, look what God says about them. They are proud. Why is that one listed first? What was it that got Lucifer kicked out of heaven? Pride. What is it that goes before destruction? Pride. So you're dealing with people who are eaten up with pride. And he and God says, knowing nothing. In other words, they don't know as much as what they say. Here's part of the problem. Those kind of people can be very influential with a lot of Christians. Well, you know, but I've always heard that such and such. Okay, you've always heard this from who? Who's been, who's been teaching you this? Who? And where are they getting it? He's proud, knowing nothing, doting about questions and strifes of words. You know, there are some people, they, um, they, want, they know enough about the Greek and the Hebrew to be very dangerous to other believers. Now here's what I'm getting at. The def, though, though the correct use of a Greek or Hebrew word is predicated by its contextual setting. In other words, yeah, you can look up... Some people, it's like they use the Strong's and they find the brief definition and then they say, well, that's the Hebrew word Rama Shama Lama. And what it means is... And I've heard this before and I'm sitting back and I'm thinking... I've heard it in sermon. Um, I remember one time in a sermon I'm sitting, I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, okay, yeah, that's, but it's only partially true because in that setting... That word means such and such and thus and thus. And what you're saying is misleading to the people. Because sometimes these Greek words, there's like a definition, but then there is an application, and it's relative to the situation wherein the word's being used. So then you have people doting about questions and strifes of words. You know, whereof cometh, Envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings. In other words, strife and discord among believers. You know, I remember one time I'm talking to a guy and he says, well, such and such and blah, blah. And I said, well, you know, the Bible says... That, now, this was a Christian. The Bible says, etc., etc. He says, well, yeah, but some of some of blah, blah. And I said, well, yeah, but the Bible says, etc., etc. He said, well, yeah, but such and such and blah, blah. And I said, but the Bible says... And I'm quoting Scripture. And he looks at me and he says, well, I guess we'll just have to wait till we get to heaven to find out who's right. Now, in my flesh, I had a word that starts with dumb that I did not use. 
Some of you probably heard that word used before. <laughs> Nevertheless, I'm thinking, if it's in the Bible, you know what? Then I'm right. Why? Because I'm quoting Scripture in context. And that guy, you know, he proud. And God's saying, this guy doesn't know anything. Why is it so many Christians are listening to people that, according to God, know nothing? But it goes on all the time. Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds. This is really interesting. That phrase, corrupt minds, I don't have all the Greek words for all of this. But that word corrupt, <laughs> it comes from a Greek word and part of its meaning is rot, rotten, rottenness. So God says, <laughs> they're suffering from brain rot. <laughs> I mean, really, that's an image that is given. Their, their mind, okay, their thought process is rotten and rotting before God. This is how he describes it. You know, next time somebody says, well, you know, and you know they're wrong, why don't you just tell them, say, you know what, your, your mind is rotten. You know, you got, you know, thought rot, whatever. Yeah, that probably won't go too well, but... And so, now, you know, God is saying, that's what these people are. God is telling you, that's what these people are. But to get a better understanding of who these people are, and what they're doing, we need to go back up to verse 3. So he says, you know, if any man teach otherwise. Now that phrase, teach otherwise, it comes from a Greek word, that has a great number of um, syllables. I mean, it, okay, here it goes. Heterodidaskaleo, something or other. But what's really important is what it means. Yes, it comes from heteros, which means other but different, and didaskalos, which means teacher. And what it means is to teach a doctrine different from one's own. Now, this is interesting. Keep your finger here in 1 Timothy 6. Go back to 1 Timothy chapter 1. And you'll see where this began. 1 Timothy 1, verse 3. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. See that? So this is where it starts. Then we go back to chapter 6 where he's wrapping everything up. He's still talking about the same thing, in essence. And so he says, um, uses this word, teach otherwise, to teach a doctrine different from one's own. To teach differently. Okay, that brings up an interesting question in and of itself. What is, you know, teach a doctrine different from one's own? So then, what is your doctrine but what is the doctrine of those doing the teaching? Because it says teach, to teach a doctrine different from one's own. So I'm the one that, and I'm standing up and I'm doing the teach otherwise, but he says you're teaching a doctrine that's different from your own. It's like, well, I don't understand that because if I'm teaching it, then it must be my doctrine. All right, now let's look at this from God's perspective. From God's perspective as a Christian, my doctrine and your doctrine, accept it or not, is what is recorded right here in Scripture. 
This is it. Now you can teach otherwise, but if you stand before God, God's going to say, but that's not your doctrine. And you can say, well, it's what I believe. And God said, well, whatever you believe is whatever you believe, but that's not your doctrine because I recorded in Scripture. This is your doctrine. Are you born again? Yes, I'm washed in the blood. Whose blood? The blood of your son, Jesus Christ. All right, then you're my child, right? Yep, I'm your child. Then here's your doctrine. <laughs> here's your doctrine. I'm dad. I'm telling you, this is your doctrine. Why are you acting differently? Can you imagine here you got, you know, mom and dad, and they got like, like five kids. And dad says, all right, now you kids, you cannot go in there and eat pie unless you get permission from me. Well, then, you know, the oldest son, he goes and tells the other kids, hey, let's go eat some pie, you know, a couple hours later. Well, no, we can't. Oh, yeah, we can. It's okay. Trust me. Let's go eat some pie. Let's go eat some pie. What is the oldest kid's doctrine? Thou shalt not eat pie. That's the doctrine established by the dad. But the son is teaching otherwise. But even though he's teaching otherwise, it doesn't mean dad's doctrine has changed. It's still, thou shalt not eat pie, or thou shalt die. No, <laughs> dad didn't say that, not really. But anyway, He says, if any man teach otherwise, and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, this word consent, what does it mean? It comes from another one of those, you know, semi-long Greek words. And in this passage, what it means is, assent to, agree with, ascribe, ascribe to, or yield to. But since the word not is used with this, then what it means is not assent to, not agree with, not ascribe to, not yield to. In other words, here's the doctrine, but you're not consenting to it, you're not yielding to it, you're not agreeing with it. You're opposing it. And then he says, if any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, Okay, well, what are wholesome words? The words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those are wholesome words. The word wholesome comes from a Greek word. It means soundness, uncorrupt, healthy. And because in this verse, the word wholesome is used with the word words, then what it means is words conducing to a spiritually healthful state of the church and believers. So he's saying, consent not to wholesome words. What are wholesome words? Basically, they are words that result in your spiritual growth and development, which ultimately means the spiritual growth and development of the local church and the church in general. Consent not to wholesome words. And if you want to know the source of these wholesome words, the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which is according to godliness. Well, what is the doctrine that is according to godliness? It is the doctrine that, when applied by the individual, results in the individual conforming to the image of the glory of Christ. See this? Being fully mature as a believer. 
So, he says, if you've got somebody who teaches otherwise and refuses to consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, which are the words of the doctrine that result in you being like Jesus, then you know what? Those people that are proud, knowing nothing, etc., etc., and so forth. So then, the words, the wholesome words, what exactly are those words? Well, turn over to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to point something out to you um, here today that, I don't know, maybe you've never thought of in the past. Matthew 28. You know what's interesting? How some people, they don't really like me that much. Alright, well, you know, I guess we all have people that don't like us that much. I don't know. And um, they don't like my teaching. They don't like what I say. Like, alright, well, whatever. I mean, hey, that's what got Jesus crucified, you know? So uh, we have to kind of get used to it. But the thing is, just like those people who crucified Jesus, remember what he told them, the people who disagreed with him? He said, search the Scriptures. Remember that? So for those who hear me and don't really like me, disagree with what I'm teaching, so on and so forth, okay, my word to you is this. Search the Scriptures. Search the Scriptures. Because it would seem as though you're not consenting to wholesome words. And that's not a good place to be. According to what we just read over there in 1 Timothy, that is not a good place to be. Now, the wholesome words, okay? The words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, well, what are they? Well, look here in Matthew 28. And uh, this is right before Jesus um, ascends back to heaven. He's been crucified, raised from the dead, and so forth. In verse 18, Jesus came and spake unto uh, the apostles, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Now, this is interesting because He's telling them, you know, I've, I've been with you guys now for about three and a half years. You've heard me do a lot of teaching. And for us today, the summary of three and a half years of teaching and ministry, it's all contained in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels. That's the summary. And he says, now, you guys have heard me for the last three and a half years, so I'm telling you, you teach the people that come to accept me as Savior, you teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have taught you. That's not what it says. Commanded you. See that? <laughs> In other words, when Jesus says something, it wasn't an option. He was delivering the doctrine that leads to godliness. So it's not like we can sit back and say, well, you know, yeah, he said that back then, but... No, he taught the kingdom. The kingdom 
ever liveth. And the words of the kingdom do not die. He said, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Teaching them to observe. All right. Then in John chapter 16. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. The things that I have taught you while I have been with you. And in John chapter 16 verse 12, Jesus says, now this is right before he is arrested and crucified. In John chapter 16 verse 12, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. So this means, you're not teaching me now, so like when's the next class session? And in their minds, they're thinking, okay, next week we're going to be on another hillside, he's going to be teaching some more, or he'll get back in a boat and teach everybody. They did not know that just, I mean, really, maybe an hour or so, or whatever the time was, from this moment, this, they, they only have you know minutes left with him before he gets arrested, and they haul him off and crucify him. And it's like, well, wait a second. You said you had more things to teach us. And now they're killing you. How are we going to get the more? Jesus, what else is there? Well, back up to chapter 14. Verse 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. What I've been teaching you the last three and a half years, the Holy Spirit, He knows every word. And He will bring back to your remembrance the messages I have delivered unto you. The words that I have spoken unto you. And then in chapter 16, verse 13, well, in verse 12, He says, I have many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. He knew what was coming. And so he follows that statement up with, how be it? When he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he'll show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. There was another place where Jesus, I didn't write this verse down, where Jesus said, my doctrine is not my own, but it's his who sent me. And so, he shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, what is he receiving? Well, in part, the doctrine. And shall show it, reveal it, teach it, tell it unto you. So Jesus says, I have many things to teach you, but you can't bear them right now. But, The Holy Spirit, He's going to pick up where I left off, and He will teach you. And He'll teach you all things, and He will guide you into all truth, and He'll put you in remembrance of what I've said. That's why when He, before He ascended to the Father, and He was saying, you teach the people whatever I've commanded you. They wouldn't have, or they shouldn't have had a whole lot of concern about that, because Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will teach you. The Comforter will come and He will teach you. Well, when Jesus says, tarry ye in Jerusalem till you be endued with power, and He's talking about you know being filled with the Holy Spirit, then one of the things 
and I don't know how many of them would have caught on to this, but one of the things that he was telling them was, tarry in Jerusalem until the teacher arrives to pick up where I left off and continue teaching you and put you in remembrance of these things that I've commanded you. Now, I want you to think about what is written from the book of Acts all the way through to Revelation chapter 3, verse 22. That's the last verse in Revelation chapter 3. Because beginning in chapter 4 is the, um, all the end time stuff. But all the way through the end of chapter 3 of Revelation, you know, to the church of this and to the church of that and the warnings, the instructions, and, and so on. So from Acts all the way through to the end of chapter 3 of Revelation, if you think about what's in there, there are things in, in the remainder of the New Testament, things recorded, that Jesus never said in the four Gospels. Never. If you read through what the things that Paul wrote and the things that Paul taught, there are things that he wrote, things that he taught, that Jesus never taught in the four Gospels. I'm not being blasphemous. Some of you look at me like, what? <laughs> Jesus never taught extensively on praying in tongues. It's not recorded. You understand that? And that's just one example. So, the question then would be, where in the world did the writers of Acts and beyond get their doctrine? This teaching, where did they get all of this? Well, obviously, they got it from Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Remember what Jesus said, I have more things to teach you. I have more things to teach you, but you can't bear them right now. Then he says, the Holy Spirit, he will teach you. He will not speak on his own, but he will speak what he hears. Well, who's he going to hear it from? Jesus said, I have more things to teach you but you can't bear them. But the Holy Spirit, He will teach you what He hears. He will guide you into all truth. In other words, He picks up where I left off, and He's going to be the one who teaches you. Now, when Jesus made that statement over there in Matthew 28, there in verse 20, um, He told them, you know, go into the world, teach the people, lead them to accept me as Jesus Christ, and then, uh, you know, as their Savior, and then teach them, and he used an interesting word, he said, to observe. To observe. All the things that I've commanded you. Now, that word, I don't know about you, but to me that word observe, that sounds very passive. It, it doesn't sound, it's almost like a, well, you know, uh, you know, think about it. To observe. Well, let me share with you this word observe. It comes from the Greek word tereo. You know, the short Greek words, those are the easy ones to pronounce. <laughs> and it means to guard, to note, hold fast, keep, serve, watch, remain fixed upon, and obey. You teach them to take these things that they hear, the things that you teach, the things that I've taught you, what the Holy Spirit teaches you, you tell these folks, the ones that, that, that are born again, babes in Christ, from the moment they're born again. 
you teach them to guard this doctrine with everything that's in them. To guard it. In other words, you guard it and you do not allow anything outside to penetrate in. You guard this doctrine. You, you take note of it. You don't passively um, identify it. You take note of it. In other words, if I'm driving down the road and I see that up ahead there's a traffic light and it's red, I take note of that. Because that means I probably need to slow down unless it turns green. I don't get my phone out. (laughs) All right? We'll move on here. And then where he says to hold fast and to keep, that means you grab a hold of it, you know, like a mama protecting their baby. You hold fast this doctrine so tightly within that you do not let anything or anyone else touch it. You hold on to it. And then you serve it. Whatever it says to You serve it. The doctrine, now this is going to sound maybe kind of weird, that doctrine is to be your master. And you think, oh no, Jesus is my master. Well, who gave you the doctrine? If you're serving the doctrine, you're serving Jesus. You you understand that. And then he says, to obey. It's your boss. You obey. This is what you do. Now, preachers are doing it correctly. They're going to point you to the words of Jesus. Now, what are the words of Jesus? Well, it's not simply you know, the red letters in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The words of Jesus are in Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, etc., etc., etc. You see that? Because they wrote as they were inspired by the Holy Spirit who told them what to write, because Jesus told the Holy Spirit, tell them, write this, teach this. And so therefore, we're, we're talking, the New Testament, these are the wholesome words. And if any man consent not to these wholesome words, he says, they don't know what they're talking about. Don't have anything to do with them. He says, withdraw yourself. If preachers are doing this correctly, they'll point you to the words of Jesus and they'll stand up and they will tell you it is do or die. There's no, there's no option. There is growing and learning. But when it comes to doing it or, well, you know, everybody else is doing this stuff over here. I mean, in that church, they're doing, uh-huh, and then this church over here, they're doing, Wow. I mean, and they all sing about Jesus. And then we create our own theology. We create our own doctrine. We create our own permissiveness and talk about being washed in the blood of Jesus and we convince ourselves that God agrees with it or that God's okay with it. Folks, if you just read the words of Jesus, the wholesome words of our Lord Jesus Christ, you realize it doesn't work that way. It flat out doesn't work that way. Um... Am I? Okay. In the Bible it says, it's better not to give your word than to give your word and break it. Now I'm not going to say anything about this until boom, there it is. We had a Christmas banquet last night. How many people signed up? They were going to bring such and such and then they never even showed up. 
And for whatever, whatever they signed up to bring, somebody had to scramble to get it. Whatever that means. Do you have any idea that you violated the wholesome words of Almighty God? Well, I didn't think it was that big of a deal. He said, don't give your word unless you're going to keep it. Don't do it. He says, better not to give your word than to give it and break it. Well, see, we've been so conditioned that the minor things, like a banquet, don't really matter. And I signed up that I was going to bring whatever. But you know what? Something's changed and I'm not going. You signed up, you're going to bring that stuff. Now here's what you do. You get in touch with somebody, you make arrangements for whatever you signed up to be taken to that banquet, and you go back home and watch TV. Or whatever you're doing. Well, this is hitting somebody. Or several people. See, this is, this is what I'm trying to get at here, is that we have created doctrines and theology that do not line up with God's Word, and we don't even think about it. We dismiss anything that we see as an inconvenience. So, yeah, I know I signed up. You gave your word to this entire congregation that you were going to supply such and such. And then you broke your word. I'm not trying to cast stones. I'm trying to help you understand that if Jesus had promised fish, guess what we would have had last night? You know what, if he'd have promised, you know, coconut pie. (laughs) If he had promised pork chops, we would have had the best pork chops. (laughs) We're talking about an anointed pig, hallelujah. But you guys understand what I'm saying. And what I'm sensing right now is that some of this is hitting home like it's never hit home before. And some people are reevaluating their approach to Scripture. Well, good. We all need to. The wholesome words of Jesus Christ. Do you understand that when a prophecy comes forth, those are wholesome words. Now, anybody can prophesy anything. Yeah, yeah, the Lord said your feet stink. (laughs) Anybody can say anything and call it a prophecy. In the Old Testament, you had prophets that stood up and they spoke what God told them to speak. But then you had other people who said, that's not God, come on. Well, see, we read it after the fact, and it's like, those fool idiots, don't they know Isaiah was speaking for God? Don't they know Jeremiah was delivering the word? Well, back then, they heard somebody prophesy something, they didn't really like it. And so they said, that doesn't agree with what we believe. And then they would prophesy their own things. Well, it's the same, same process today. When prophecy comes forth, those are the wholesome words of Jesus Christ. Do you understand the imagery? I know you do. Now, we're supposed to take those prophecies and make sure they line up with the message contained in Scripture. Whatever is written in here, all right? And there's some things I've heard over the years that's like, I don't know about that one. I'm trying to, you know, it's weird. Some people when they, you know, yay, the Lord says, and they start speaking in a way that is so incredibly cryptic, you have no idea what they're talking. It's like they're trying to, 
to sound like an Old Testament prophet. <laughs> Yea, thy belly shall be fat. It's already there. <laughs> now I'm going to read to you some prophecies. Now, there are prophecies that come forth from the prayer center in Immokalee, Florida. There are prophecies that come forth from the prayer center in Tulsa. There are prophecies that come forth from here. The one common denominator is the path we're walking. You understand that? That we're all pressing in for the same thing. We all understand, uh, well, like the, the four pillars of spiritual growth and maturity. We understand these things. And we're, we are all, even though we're, uh, the people in the churches maybe are all doing them to different degrees, we know this, and we all would agree that we're believing God for an outpouring, and we're believing God to see revival, the way God's described it in Scripture. Therefore, when a prophecy comes forth in either one of those churches or in this church, it's not exclusively for the people in the seats that day in that building. It is also a word to the believers walking this path. Just like when uh, you read in the book of Ephesians. And it wasn't like what was written in the book of Ephesians doesn't apply to the Philippians or to the Corinthians. It's still the wholesome words of Jesus Christ. And so therefore when a prophecy comes forth, it's the wholesome words of Jesus Christ. Now we're getting closer. No, let me, let me say it like this. There's a better way to put it. We are increasing in our level of accountability before God, in part because of what we've heard and what we know. It, you know, we're getting more and more to that place of you can't play games with, well, I'll sign up and I'll commit to bring a pumpkin pie, but then if I don't go, it's no big deal. We're getting to the point to where no, you let your yes be yes and your no be no. You understand that? What, okay. So then I want to read this to you. Now, these prophecies came forth um, within the last like a week and a half ago or two weeks ago. Continue to learn of me. Learn of my presence. Learn of my love. For I am leading all who are finding greater intimacy with me into much more. Your life is to seek me. To seek times in my presence. To set yourself aside to me that you might know me even more in a greater quieting, a greater peace. All are necessary for the days you are in and the days that are coming. I just want to say this. Listen, guys, we better pay attention to this because if we don't have that peace that passes all understanding, guard our hearts through Christ Jesus, and I'm telling you, the distress that's coming upon this, men's hearts fail them because of fear. Jesus warned about this. We've got to be ready. And he says, um, all are necessary for the days you are in and, and the days that are coming. These things I say, let them be new and personal and alive to you. For the words that come forth from the Father are alive and new and personal words to you, my warriors. Be closer in presence to me, for I desire to be closer in presence to you, my beloved. My presence and your presence with me and close to me is of utmost importance and a part of the transformation I am bringing. Many are achieving greater closeness through the treasures they are finding in me, and there is a nearness in presence being gained that is as your breathing, steady, constant, life-giving. This is training, 
and it is transforming. My revivalists are being transformed to this closeness with me where there is a liberating understanding, not of man's theology, but a transformation that comes from knowing me intimately. This is the inheritance given to my body that not all partake of. For many keep their distance from me through man's theology. I am upholding you in me, and the nearer you are, the greater the upholding. It is by faith that you seek me and reach more deeply into the truths of fellowship with me. And in your reaching, in your seeking, you find I am a rewarder for all who diligently seek me. Seek to know me. Seek to find more of me. Seek to be very close to me, for I desire to reward you in your seeking. And your pleasure at what you find in me will be exceedingly abundantly beyond your asking. Come and seek me even more, for I am waiting expectantly. You are so very loved by me. Sometimes it's like we have this idea that seeking God means, well, He's going to do something sooner or later. I'm waiting on you, God. And God says, I'm waiting on you. You seek me. I already know where you are. I don't have a problem finding you. The struggle is you seeking me and my presence. Another way to say this is born again is enough to get you to heaven. But it's not enough for God's ultimate purpose in this world. Born again is the starting line. The seeking is the race. And that's what we're after. Listen to this one. And this one, it, it dovetails with what the Lord just said. It is your presence with me that I continually seek. For I desire my presence to be a factor in every area of your life in me and is a key that many in my body are missing. My presence is the difference maker in all things. Continue to seek, to come, to learn of my presence and of life in me in my presence and to lay more of that which is not needed at my feet. I am teaching things of abiding, of enduring, of lingering, and an awareness that comes from our intimacy. Of necessity is the purging that is removing hindrances to these things. There is a closeness I am leading you into that will touch every area of your lives. No area will be untouched in the intimacy that I am leading you into. Know that our intimacy... I am know that in our intimacy, I am walking with each of my warriors through rooms of truth and revealing myself, revealing love in greater dimensions. Your explorations with me, your treasure seeking, your times of beholding are bringing change upon change and adding to your equipping, adding greatly to your capacity to believe and receive. I am love and I am leading you into a broader place in your understanding. Knowing me intimately is the very heart of revival, and you are learning of me, of my presence, for it is my presence that makes the difference in all things. You are my dwelling place, and I am yours. And this awareness of my presence with you and in you is sharpening each one's skill spiritually. Just as I am very attentive to you, each one is learning to become more and more attentive to me. Continue to seek me, to know me, to draw nearer and nearer to me, 
For these are the days you live in, for you have crossed the threshold into a greater intimacy where greater knowledge of love and my presence await you. Whether you know it or not, we have crossed over a threshold in this place. It's not about emotions and what you feel emotionally. It's about what's happened spiritually. And we are at a place, I, I don't know, if you can, it, I'm hoping that you realize we're experiencing God more and more in this place. And it doesn't have to be the spectacular, it's just the presence, like what he's talking about. Now listen to this one. Outside of my presence, there is no peace. If I, that is so powerful. Because you can have false peace. What is false peace? It's whatever the world can do for you, or that you can do in the world, to create a sense of satisfaction that is only temporary. But you don't know it temporary at the time. Outside of my presence, there is no peace. There are many who have ideas and ways to bring satisfaction to their senses and to their mind, but outside of my presence, none of those things will truly satisfy. None of those will truly bring the freedom that I bring and the freedom that I have made available. So you who know me, you who are called of my name, why do you seek for the peace? Why do you seek for comfort? Why do you seek for satisfaction outside the realms of my spirit? For I tell you the truth. There are those who will prey upon the weak and have great solutions and ideas for how you can find peace, how you can deal with torment and fear. And in the days ahead, even now, there are those who have come into the church and are teaching a way to find peace that is outside the realms of my spirit. But for you who have made the choice and have said, there is no other option for me, you will begin to see a difference as things grow dimmer as things become more difficult, as problems and difficulties arise, you will find that within you there is a greater peace and a greater expectation than what you had in, past, in times past. And some will even wonder if there is something wrong with you. You will even wonder within yourself, why is it that I am finding joy and peace in the midst of these situations? And some will even counsel you to say, this is an unhealthy way to deal with such a thing. But I say to you, you have learned of me. You have drawn upon my presence. You have drawn upon my word. And you have drawn from my spirit the strength, the grace, and all the things necessary to stand in this time of trouble, to stand in the times that are coming upon the earth. You have within you what is necessary to be able to walk in the fullness thereof, the fullness of my peace, the fullness of my wisdom, the fullness of sanity and soundness, you have it within you. Do not allow those who have what may seem to be good intentions to distract you and take you down a path that I have not ordained. For you see, this is a time when you are called of me. You who are called to this purpose must become even more narrowly focused than before. For it is a time when the distractions will be more and more subtle. It will seem almost like the right thing to do, and many times it will seem as though it is the best thing to do. But you know, you know how I have trained you, and you know how I will lead you. And during the days, weeks, and months to come, there will be a deception that seems so pure, seems so right, 
it seems like it would bring the answer. But it is not of me, and it is going to be very important that you stay steadfast, laser-focused on that which I have given you, the instructions that I have brought. As I have cautioned before, the enemy is working through family, through close relationships, through ideas that would appear to bring blessings to you, to your family, and to those around you. Be aware. Be aware. Beware of the deception. Beware of the ploys. And simply follow me. This is not a time to veer off course. This is not a time to begin something new. It is a time to continue and stay steadfast in that which I have given you. And you will see that on the other side. The deception will be so clear. You will be so relieved. You will be so happy that you stayed with me. That you will know beyond any shadow of a doubt. You will know that you are on the right course. That you have done the right things. That you have stayed in the right track. There will be many who will follow another way. And you will be tempted to stop them. And to grab a hold. And to say no. To veer them off this direction. And to say follow me. And come along this path. But I say to you. Let them go. And you will see that you will be equipped to help them on the other side of this attack. For I speak of a specific attack that is coming against this body, and even some specific people within this body, those connected to this message, and you will know, you will know. The temptation will be to take what appears to be the easy road out, but I assure you, you have within you the ability to keep following the truth that you know, to keep on the path that you are on. And as you do, you will become more and more equipped, more and more able to not only walk in the fullness of what I have you walk in with peace, but also you will be able to be the anchor for someone else. So do not be distracted. Do not veer off course. Continue in the truth and in the understanding of what you have within you, what my Spirit has given you. And you will find that this place will become a place of refuge even for yourselves, this place, this place, a place of refuge for you and others. There are people, see when you talk about church attendance, a lot of people think, well, you know, pastor, he's trying to boost the numbers. Okay, every pastor wants to see more people. I get that. But there are people who claim to be a part of this church. They're not taking it seriously. And there are some people who've gone through struggles. One of the, it just shocks me. After all these years, there are still people who want to drop out and just, well, I'm not going to be there for a while. You know, I got to deal with things. You know, get your backside in here. I'm serious. What's he talking about in here? The subtle temptations to make the wrong decisions. And it's all based on emotions. Don't yield. Don't give in. Um, as you uh, continue this, as you face difficult times, run to the gathering of my people. Run and come and be a part of what is happening, and you will see that I will continue to bring the equipping and the things necessary for you to stand. No matter the vessel that stands behind the pulpit, I say unto you this day, I will fill you with my presence as you come and gather in this place. I say to you, I will bring the necessary equipment for you to walk through every trial, every temptation, every ploy of the enemy. 
I myself will bring the equipment necessary. Do not allow yourself to be deceived to say, I don't need what this man is saying today. I don't need what that man is saying today. I don't need another sermon. I don't need another teaching. I don't need another hour around people. But understand that I am using this place as a tool to bring to you the equipping that you need. Do not despise what I am doing here in this place. You have no idea, no idea how many Christians are out there who wish they had a church like this. They're desperate for a church like this. That's why they stay home and watch online. If they, if they could figure out a way logistically to move here, if they could get God to tell them, move, they'd be here. Or they'd be in Immokalee. Or they'd be there in Tulsa. They'd do it. But then you have a lot of people already in these places who neglect it. I'm going to read one more to you. What I see is this. Revival is not far off. And as we've stepped into just the beginnings of the waters, there is a whole land of revival where the wind is beginning to touch us, just breeze over us. We're beginning to receive little by little, little wafts of fresh air coming from that place of revival. And the world is beginning to be and the world is going to begin to see this, and they are going to say, This can't be possible because it's never happened before. First, the church will see it. First, others who hadn't believed will see it. And they'll say, what is this? Some will scoff. Some will make fun. Some will be changed completely because it will blow their minds, but there is a breeze. Right now, it is only felt in the realms of the Spirit. And if you will enter in, you will begin to feel that and be refreshed and know that, yes, it's right around the corner. Yes, it's very close. And it's breeze is a refreshing that's coming to those whose hearts have been sickened because their hope was deferred. So this is an encouragement to enter into the realms of the Spirit and listen for the breeze of revival and receive from it a refreshing that will rekindle the flame that once burned bright. There are some who have allowed the flame to dwindle down. And there is no condemnation, but in contrast, there, this is an encouragement to allow the flame to be rekindled by the wind of my Spirit as I blow from a place of revival, a refreshing upon you. Receive from the Spirit, and you will see that it will become stronger and stronger until even the natural will begin to see wafts of wind, and it will begin to catch attention until finally the wind is completely changed and blows, and there will be no denying what I am doing. There will be no denying a move of my Spirit. Everything I've read to you, these are the wholesome words of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's critical that we take this seriously. I need to take it seriously. It's easy for us to hear a prophetic word and just dismiss it. And I'm guilty of that. Not taking it as seriously as I should. But over and over again, God is giving us these these words of warning. He's giving us words of encouragement. Words of instruction. He is wanting us to do this. This is one of the reasons why we keep getting these prophetic words. It's why he keeps saying this. It's because he can't make us do this. 
He's wanting us to capture the excitement that's in His heart and to do these things, even if we don't feel the excitement. Even if if we don't feel an emotion, He's wanting us to just believe Him and be pressing in and, and know that change will take place. Because He's promised it. He's saying, if you, if you just give me some time, just, just spend some time with me, regardless of what you feel, I will honor that and work in you to will and to do of my good pleasure. I will equip you. I will prepare you. He needs us strong. In these last days, all this stuff that's coming... You know, if you read social media, you're going to see a lot of Christians responding what seems to be out of fear or worry. You know, they write things that are not a testimony of Christ. They write things as though the government controls everything that goes on. No, the government doesn't. You know, the way we're living right now, some Christians, it's almost like they think that the Antichrist is knocking on their front door to try and give them the mark. Do you realize what our conditions in this country are so easy compared to what the Christians had under Rome when the church first started? This is no big deal. And the thing is, it doesn't matter what any government in the world does. The bottom line is, if we are pressing into God... The kingdom of God is not controlled by an earthly government. So we keep pressing in, and God can still work. All that stuff that we read about in the New Testament, all these incredible things that happened, all the churches that God established, all of this, it happened under Roman rule. It happened when they weren't even allowed. Roman rule said Christians cannot have their own church building. And they still grew. Some, some historians say that the church at Ephesus had over 100,000 members. And they didn't even have their own building. They didn't have an arena where they could go and meet. That's incredible. And it happened under Roman rule. God is saying, please, give me time. I have to examine my own life, me personally. And I'm encouraging you to do the same. If God, you know, Paul writes about how I was called up to the third heaven and saw these and heard these things and all. John, book of Revelation, and I saw this and I saw that. You know, if God were to call us up to the third heaven and show us into the future all the things that his power and anointing would do through us to the people around us, and then look at us and say, all right, I'm going to send you back down to earth. What are you going to do now? I guarantee you, TV and everything else (laughs) would lose its interest. There'd be so many things in our lives we would change because we would know. He showed me what's coming. But you know what? Didn't Jesus say, if you believe the works that I do, you shall do also. We've already been given a vision of our potential in Christ. So guys, let's press in. 
Let's continue seeking. And let's see the glory of God and an outpouring and revival. Amen?